Lingard is joining in, and he's seen Martinelli! Extraordinary! Set it for Saliba! For Kyle Saka, beaten out by the Roos, and touched in by Jesus! Kyle Saka! Hello and welcome to the Bruce Banana FC Match Review Podcast, where unfortunately we're going to be talking about Arsenal's free free draw with Southampton at the Emirates, which is undoubtedly another two huge points dropped in the title race. My name is Luke and you can find me on Twitter at Eckleton and I'm joined by Ben, who you can find on Twitter at Ben Brining Free. Ben, we've just come off of two away games. We've given up two goal leads and dropped four points in the process of that. Coming home to bottom of the league really feels to me like it should have been the point for us to have laid down a marker. So my first question to you is, what were your feelings like before the game? And then how did you feel after? Yeah, hi. Um, If it wasn't Southampton, I would have thought it was a slam dunk. You know, you're playing bottom of the league at home and it should have been a slam dunk. But um, it's Southampton and we're not very good against Southampton for one reason or another. Why? Um, yeah, don't know. What? They they consistently haunt me. Danny Ings, Shane Long, like <laughs> just they bring the yeah. Carlos Alcaraz, who they only signed in January as well. Good player, just, by the way. A very good player, very good player. Um, but yeah, we're not very good against Southampton, but we're usually quite good at them against them at home. So I was quite confident, as you would be, you know, bottom of the league. But we we've beaten what four 0 last season, I think. Yeah, yeah, I think we do have a really good record against them in general. Yeah. But yeah, um... we hadn't lost to them at home in the Emirates era. I remember the graphic coming up. Um, and even, to be fair, even when Ramsdale conceded that first goal, I mean, we'll, we'll come on to. I'm sure we have a real problem from uh, kickoffs, or you know, from in the first minute, we don't seem to switch on. Um, but even when Ramsdale scored that conceded that first goal, I was like, oh, it's fine. You know, we'll get back into it pretty quickly. We'll be 2-1 up by 20 minutes, and then we'll just sort of ride it out. And yeah, it didn't really go that way, did it? Yeah, I mean, the the poor thing about it is usually there's such a thing as scoring too early. So giving away a goal in the first minute and essentially starting the game one down is obviously really, really poor. But you did kind of feel at the time, oh, you know, it's literally like we have as much time as you could possibly want to get back into the game. And if you're going to concede a goal, you'd rather it be really early because then it gives you more time. But completely yeah. agree with what you said about kickoff like we saw it against Bournemouth and it burnt us we nearly got burnt against Leeds it does feel like there's a blueprint now which isn't even the most elaborate blueprint it's, it's take the kickoff pass it backwards and then just ping it onto Zinchenko's head and try and work off the second ball just it feels like yeah. we should come up with an answer to this question because this is like a 90s problem do you know what I mean like this isn't exactly yeah. like tactical re- revolution well the gut the gut I was thinking sort of Gallo's humor at least we couldn't go tune it up um when when they scored, that was my first reaction. I was like, "Well, at least we can't throw away a two 0 lead this time. Maybe that's a good thing." But um, yeah, it's a it's a real problem because we've accepted Zinchenko's flaws as a defender because of how much he offers an attack. Like that's pretty common knowledge. He's not a very good one on one defender. He's not going to win a lot of aerial duels. But maybe we need to have a think about how we set the side up in that sort of position, like from. When we know the ball is going to get pumped long, maybe we should have a slight tweak to the to the way the side is set out. Maybe just from kickoff, um, you know, put Zinchenko central, and maybe if Xhaka was playing, put Xhaka at left back to try and win the aerial ball. Um, because yeah, as you say, it is becoming 
a hallmark, you know, a go-to tactic for most people, which is not something that we want to be known for. You know, it's like when when Man United play and you say sort of put the corner on De Gea's head because he's not very good in the uh, claiming crosses. Like it's that sort of Achilles heel that we're talking about now that's starting to come to the fore. Yeah, and Jack is a really good kind of talking point for this, I think, because even though his stock has risen quite a lot this season, like fairly, it still feels like he doesn't really get the the, the credit he deserves for how important he is to this team. And I think we saw a really large kind of granite Xhaka hole in the midfield yesterday. And it's 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 not just that Fabio Vieira clearly needs more time to develop, like physically, mentally, that the tempo of the Premier League. It it just feels like with that position that Jack and Odegaard play, where um, admittedly Odegaard plays a bit further forward, there's a bit more freedom, but they're not really eights, they're not really tens, they kind of they're floating in this in these in between spaces, and especially when Zinchenko kind of floats in those those central areas, if it always has felt to me this season that Jack is so good at knowing when to be where, like when to pull out wides to show for the pass, when to come into cover Zinchenko, when to get up into that half space to support the attack. It's a, a really kind of mature job of knowing when to be. And I think that helps us not ju- just attackingly, but defensively. So the fact that Vieira just looked a bit out of place for me yesterday, I thought, obviously, we've seen the talent he has. I'm not sure what position is really best for him. Um, it does feel like at the moment, if Jack is not on the team, he's head of the pecking order. But, you know, just, I guess the next thing I'd ask you is, do you feel like like how big a miss he feels Xhaka was and... And what do you think of Vieira in terms of this season? Um, I think I think Jacker was a miss for sure, but I don't, I'm not sure he was such a big miss. Like we were okay for a lot of the first half. We made a lot. We got caught in transition a fair bit, but you know Jacker would have been high anyway. Um, I just think that Vieira didn't really offer a great deal. You know, we, there's lots of discussion I know among Arsenal fans about whether he's good enough. Uh, to play for Arsenal and that's another story I think he's definitely got the technical quality but whether he can you know you have to have supreme technical quality you have to have like Bernardo Silva level technical quality to play when you're the sort of stature that he is because that's all you can really lean on yeah um I do think we missed we missed a little bit of bite in midfield but at the same time I think and I'm gonna I'm gonna come back to to uh our favorite center back but <laughs> The the gaps between defence midfield and midfield and attack were so big in the first half yesterday. And it just felt like maybe Xhaka would have helped, but it felt more of a tactical issue than a personnel issue. And because, you know, Vieira wasn't good, let's not make any bones about it. But I don't think that anyone necessarily would have been there. Because I think Trossard, for instance, when he came on in the second half, was playing in a completely, like, he was playing in Vieira's role, but he was playing against a very different sort of, tactical mm. blueprint by Southampton and that yeah. helped him massively because you know he dropped deep pick up the ball um Southampton weren't really too much of a threat because they sacrificed one of their uh, attacking players and you know the only threats they really had were set pieces which I'm sure we'll come on to but um like it felt like Vieira wasn't helped by the way the team was set up and the fact that Southampton seemed to be able to spring through those transitions and into those gaps between midfield and defense that were left too big um because, you know, as we've spoken about before, the defence has dropped because Saliba's not there and we don't have the mm-hmm. legs to cover him behind. And, you know, that means the midfield has to drop and then the gaps between the midfield and the attack are too big. So when the midfield pushes up to support the attack, then the gaps between the defence and midfield are too big. You know, 
it all sort of feeds into other things without having a like a you know it's not rob holding made an error but it's this is what we have to do to make concessions um and i think fabio Vieira was a pretty much a victim of that that being said i can see you know i can see why a lot of arsenal fans have taken the opinion that it's too soon for him because you know he hasn't he's He's not been great in the last three months, but he's had very limited opportunities, so it's difficult. You know, it's one of those where I think the jury's still out, but he hasn't made a, you know, he's not got any endearing qualities when he's not technically really sound. Yeah, and to be honest, like we've seen the numbers, we've talked about them uh, before about you know Rob Holden passes a lot less to the right hand side of the pitch than William Saliba does. Um, in terms of overall the season, Arsenal are mostly kind of like a right side biased team, especially away from home. Um, uh, we play a lot more on the right, but it did feel like uh, yesterday at the Emirates, Vieira, the fact he was having a bad game was highlighted a bit more because we really struggled to get the ball on the right hand side, which means we were kind of funneling it all the way to the left hand side all the time, pretty much in the first half anyway. Um, so the fact that Vieira looked at a bit at odds at that point kind of it was showing up a lot more because where you'd want us to get the ball to White, where he can play those kind of passes into Saka so we can turn and spring and then Odegaard get on the ball a bit more. It just felt like we couldn't find those balls in the first half. And obviously I'm not going to just say Rob Holden is the problem for that, but we do see the stats that he passed sort of yeah, the no, side of the not. pitch. And um, I think it's just, it, it's, it's tough, isn't it? Because when you go one or down in the first minute and then, Walcott scores in the 14th minute, which I thought was quite quite funny because obviously the previous Arsenal 14. It's <laughs> um, the, it's it's a problem, isn't it? Because then you know that you've got a job, and it's hard to be really really composed and really really patient when you know you've got to get three goals. And I thought the the team did well to be able to kind of get their goal back with Marnelli, like Saka, and I mean that's that's probably like one of the main things is at the at this point in time it feels to me like the young players are really leading the way when it's sh- like yeah. we've we said it on the last podcast, didn't we? Like with the Liverpool game. It felt like it was the experienced players that lost their heads. Whereas, again, today, Saka gets the assist for the Martinelli goal. Um, uh, and some of the other players came on as well, like the likes of Reese Nelson coming on late and playing quite well. Um, uh, I, I think that um, Saka and Martinelli are probably, especially in the first half, the two player, the only two players that can really hold their head up high um, from their performance. I thought Martinelli was excellent. Um, you know, he, he has that ability and he's learning the ability to sort of stop and go much more now you know like mm. a prop you know like stop control the chaos so, yeah exactly whereas before he was chaotic chaos so um <laughs> it's he, he is blossoming into a really really fantastic footballer um and he was excellent again you know he gave Carl walker peters a pretty horrible night and saka did the same on the other side with Perro. so i think that i just i, I don't know i think in the second half we maybe didn't utilize them as much as we could have done because both fullbacks well fullbacks slash wingbacks were on yellows and it felt like we didn't really run at them as much as we did in the first half and maybe that was a conscious decision but it felt like i don't know we we because we were trying to break down a low block we were maybe being too sideways looking for the opportunities um to try and keep control but we means we didn't really test those fullbacks that had already been booked and they sort of let Especially Martinelli sort of faded out of the game a bit in the middle. Yeah. You can um, tell he was tired, couldn't you? Yeah, and I don't know, it just felt like maybe we should have worked the ball wider more often. 
Um, and look for those cutbacks that obviously gave us two of our goals in the end. Yeah, and and just a kind of a quick shout out to Saka and Martinelli because I saw earlier that they're the, the first two teammates aged 21 or under to score 20 plus goal contributions in a single Premier League season since Ronaldo and Wayne Rooney in 2006-2007, which is pretty good company. Um, so I think at the end of the first half, you could see you were coming into it a bit, but and then they score the set-piece goal in the second half. So this is something that we have to look at a lot because there was a point not too long ago that Arsenal were kind of revered as the almost impenetrable team from set-pieces. Like, we didn't concede from set-pieces. So it's so strange how that feels like it's changed as much as it has over the last maybe like two months or so. Um, but I think one of the main problems as well that we had was another thing that we used to be really strong at was, was counter-pressing. It felt a lot like when I was watching a game yesterday that a Southampton player would get the ball and just be able to kind of run through the midfield. And I'd, I've not seen us bit like that happen to us up until maybe like the last month or so. I don't know if that's attributed to the missing Saliba, the fact that the line's not quite as high. Um, maybe we can't put as much pressure on the ball. But it felt like you look earlier in the season, even in the games where we weren't that good, and we'd pen teams in, get that goal. You can look at like the Bournemouth game, um, I remember when we played Fulham quite early on in the season, we were able to kind of really press them deep. Oh, even the, the Newcastle game at home, like it, just, it felt different to me. Do you know what I mean? Like um, Newcastle, one of the best defensive teams yeah. in the league, and it felt like we could pen them back when we needed to get the goal. And we penned them back for the majority of the game. But it felt against Leeds, they were able to run through the middle of the pitch. They were able to kind of find those wingers just to run up the wing. Even Walcott was running the channels and, and getting up the pitch and getting territory. Um, uh, so I guess the next thing I want to ask you is, what do you think is the main difference between this Arsenal and the Arsenal that were picking up points for fun? Well, I think I think there'll be a few a few issues. I think there's probably a fair bit of fatigue in that squad because we've lost a lot of our rotation options, especially in defence and midfield. You know, um, Tommy Asti going off injured against Sporting was much worse than it initially seemed to be when because obviously it was compounded with the Saliba issue but it means you know mm. Ben White's playing 90 minutes every game uh Thomas Partey's playing most of every game you know we don't have the ready-made options to come in and maybe give fresh legs so I think there's there's part of that there's part of the issue that you know our lines are too far apart um and you're asking Thomas Partey to cover you know sometimes 50 yards you know either side of him so there's that there's also like you don't have the athletes in defense so you can't you know you can't let Rob Holding push up to try and engage because if he's spun then you know that's a bigger problem than if mm. a midfielder is running through so you know there's lots there's lots of issues I think that mean that we're not as effective and I think that maybe it needs a tactical tweak in there maybe to add another body that isn't Zinchenko um you know maybe, maybe you drop Jacker back and play sort of a 4-2-3-1 um, and play with Zinchenko inverted anyway, but we have Xhaka a bit further back. I don't know, but it just feels like, yeah, you're right, we are getting cut through too easily, especially at home. We're conceding loads of goals at home. Um, Our clean sheet record like, at home is actually really poor, isn't it? I've seen it. Yeah. We're like bottom I think, I think, three for, for clean yeah, sheets at home. we're second or third like for most goals conceded at home, which is crazy. worrying, you know, even if it's three against Southampton, two against United. It just, you know, we're... We either... At home, we either take our foot off the gas and they get a goal, 
whether it's like Leeds when we were three and a half mm. and then all of a sudden bang or West Ham and we gave away the penalty so we either do something stupid or we just seem to fall apart a bit and I don't really understand it because the Emirates crowd has been excellent so you know you can't put it down to fear of you know fan fan fear projected onto the players or anything it just it feels very strange inexperienced do you think maybe i think there was the i think team. there has there has been a bit of inexperience and there has been a bit of um what's the right way of putting it it feels like the leaders that we expected to step up in the crucial moments maybe haven't stepped up as we expected them to you know you look at gabriel jesus yesterday and it was a case of what if it it was almost the perfect example of why Manchester City let him go for someone like Haaland because it was those <laughs> it was those tiny margins, like the tiny margins, whether it be the header that he put over or that um that Martinelli cross that he was reaching for. Um, you know, it felt like one of those goes in. The one that went over the know, bar. Yeah, we're we're three to ten, fifteen minutes earlier. Yeah. And I did... you you would you know, you'd put your house on Haaland to score one of those two chances, maybe even both of them, and that's maybe where the difference lies. Yeah, so I, I did know it at the point, and obviously I think everyone's probably, would probably agree with this over the course of the season, that a lot of the time it feels like Jesus always wants that extra touch as well. Like, obviously, in the case of like the Martinelli cross, like you, you kind of have to take it first time, but there were points where the ball would drop to him in the box, and he'd take like, a touch, take another touch, and by that time, a, a defender's kind of closed down the angle, and he's got to try and, like, sort of one way to create the angle again. It feels to me like he'd score more goals if he just was willing to take just a few more snapshots, which obviously, like, you know, it's not always going to work mm. out, but, like, there, there were times, like, especially late on, I, I think even at, at when it was 3-3, there was a point where the ball just drops him in the box. He's just outside six-yard box, and he took, like, two touches before... Um, the ball kind of got stolen from him. It just felt like... Mate, just... Do you think he gets in his own head a bit? Probably, because I think he's he's that weird... He's in that weird purgatory, isn't he, between like the fact that he's obviously a really fantastic player and a really fantastic striker, but he's not prolific. And I think for the talent he has, people expect him to score more goals than he does. So in his, in his head, I, th- I think that he still maybe second-guesses stuff, which is probably why he's not as clinical as, as other strikers around him. And I think you can see that as well. Like... Um, earlier in the game when he was kind of put through one-on-one with the keeper and it's quite a tough angle but he kind of takes it a bit wider yeah. than he should have done he takes like it a touch yeah yeah it just i think he has to be more decisive a lot earlier and kind of have the confidence to do that i think when a striker takes a lot of touches for trying to get a shot away he probably does scream out a bit of lacking confidence and being a natural but goal scorer in, in fairness when we brought in jesus and zinchenko we did know their shortcomings like we had yeah. seen it for That's years true. with city and I think maybe it's a, you know, it's a case of as much credit should go to Arteta for masking those shortcomings for as long as he has, you know, by mm-hmm. playing Saliba, playing such a high line, letting Zinchenko roam wherever. Um, we've got the best out of these players that maybe aren't the one percent players that Manchester, well, they aren't anymore. The one percent players that Manchester City have in the key areas, you know, the De Bruyne's and the Haaland's. We've got so much out of them by just tweaking our system slightly in everything works really well together for our first 11. And then when parts of the first 11 fall out, then it becomes a problem because the players that you've got, you know, cover for their shortcomings. All of a sudden, if that cover drops out, their shortcomings are more exposed. Yeah. And I think, you know, if we wanted to go out and buy a pure goal scoring striker, we could have done that if we wanted to. Like We might still. 
Yeah, it might still. But like, obviously, in terms of last summer, we wanted a striker that gave us a bit more. And Jesus has given us a bit more, to be fair to him. So, as you say, you forgive the shortcomings um, if the quality is there. And, you know, on days, it's not going to work. And on days, it will. Another interesting part is, obviously, Jacker is out of illness. Vieira comes in. Vieira doesn't have a very good game. Trossard comes in. Martinelli gets really tired. And Nelson comes on. So it feels to me like the person I'm referencing this is Emil Smith-Rowe, who just feels like... Where is he? He's just dropping down that pecking order, man. Like, I don't know what to tell you. Just, I can understand, you know, I don't know. I can understand that at this point in time, um, Arteta just prefers Vieira because Vieira's trained a lot more. He probably wants to give Vieira a bit more minutes. He hasn't been able to give him minutes a lot this season. Um, obviously, Smith-Rowe's had an operation. So, like, that's, it's, it's a hard thing to come back from physically. But we have seen Smith Rowe come on a while back. Obviously, he came against Bournemouth. He's had uh, sub appearances since then. It feels to me like since that point, he's dropping. And obviously, there's rumours, there's murmurs. And I don't want to say that he's definitely true or not, because I have no idea that it's possibly an attitude issue, um, which may not be the case. I don't want to blemish him with that if it's not. But it does feel to me like there's got to be something going on behind the scenes, because as good as Trossard has been, when you're Emil Smith-Rowe and you don't really have a definitive position in this team, and I'd say the left-wing position has almost kind of come out of the remit of his skill set. So you're kind of thinking, you know, that Xhaka position, it's it's open. It's there for him. Like, Xhaka's getting older. Um, uh, obviously, the links to Mason Mount the other day feels to me like if those are true, then it's pretty like hard on someone like Smith-Rowe who's at this point in time, you know, he's 23. Admittedly, he's had issues physically, but he's got to be thinking if he can get himself fit, he needs to play. And if at this point in time, when the the club needs a goal scorer and they're not bringing on who I think I'm right in saying was our top goal, last, uh, top goal scorer last season. And he's getting looked over out wide by the likes of Nelson and centrally by not just Vieira, but also another winger that doesn't even play centre midfield, then it feels like he's got a long way to come back. So I just wanted to ask, like, what, what are your thoughts on this? I know we, we've spoken about this in the last pods, but yeah. does, does yesterday change your, your perspective on this at all? I was very surprised that he didn't come on. It felt like the sort of game where we could really have done with him. Um... That that being said, I wasn't surprised that Nelson came on because I think Nelson's been excellent. Yeah, yes. Um, Nelson's a very odd footballer in that you don't like. He's obviously had some great moments, but for the most part, he doesn't do anything that you think sort of like. He, he doesn't do a lot of things like Martinelli, where you know he'll run into the wing and beat three players or whatever. But he very rarely makes a wrong decision, which is, you know, fascinating. He's very clean, he isn't he? Very he, clean, yeah, he's, technically. he's very clean and he keeps the ball really well. Um, you can see why Mikel Arteta really likes him. He's not maybe the most adventurous player on the ball, but he does a really good job of just retention um, in the final third. But I think that, yeah, I think I think I think Smith Rowe. There has to be something deeper going on. I don't know whether you know it might be fitness issues or whatever, but it just felt like. Even when it, when I heard Jack was out, it felt like the right sort of game for Smith Rowe to play, and not Fabio Vieira, because I've always seen it as sort of Vieira right eight with Erdegaard. So Vieira, Vieira and Erdegaard 
playing together felt a bit weird. Like it always has done whenever yeah. Jack has not played. And then, you know, I always thought, oh, Vieira's playing there until Smith Rowe comes back. And then we play, you know, the dual eights that we've always wanted to see in Smith Rowe and Odegaard. But then obviously Smith Rowe wasn't the one that he turned to or the one he turned to off the bench. So I think there's, yeah, there's a lot more going on. I don't know necessarily whether, you know, he's got three years left in his contract. He's got the number 10 share. It feels like he'd cost a lot of money to get out of Arsenal this summer. Um, and his stock's probably quite low. You know, I don't think that anyone would be willing to pay the sort of money that we would demand for a 23-year-old Englishman that, as you say, has got plenty of Premier League pedigree and has three years left on his deal. But it does feel a bit like he needs to make the step up that maybe we've seen Nelson sort of make this season. You know, not We've seen Nelson make a smaller step up, but Smith Rowe really needs to get a position nailed down in this side because this we're not waiting for him. Like mm-hmm. this team this team isn't gonna suddenly wait three months for him to become the player. We don't do that. You know, we've got if we're if we're looking at Mount, we're looking at Saicedo, we're looking at Rice, we're clearly looking to strengthen in midfield, whether that be further back or at the eight, and he needs to take an opportunity in one of these positions because as you say, he's not looking promise it's not looking promising for him on the wing. And it's not looking too promising for him centrally, so he needs to he needs to find something soon. Yeah, and I just think that, like you were saying, this is something he needs to grab it himself. I've seen a lot of opinion yeah. today of why isn't Arteta playing East, um, Smith Rowe? He should be playing Smith Rowe. I think this is something that Smith Rowe's got to look at himself in this and figure out what he's got to do to get into this team. Because at the end of the day, you say this Arsenal team is evolving; it's evolving quick. He needs to. If if he if he isn't a piece in the current jigsaw, he needs to kind of make Arteta feel like he has to change the jigsaw to fit him in because it can't just be is like Smith Rowe's a really good player, he's a really talented player, who scored a lot of good goals last season. We should be playing him. It, it can't be that simple because 100%. Arsenal Arsenal went from fifth place to change for the league title this season, and there's a reason for that. And players like Martinelli and Saka have have eclipsed what Smith Rowe did last season. So Smith Rowe's got to forge his own path into this team. Um, I think the next thing I want to kind of go on to talk about is obviously the game yesterday. There's not more we can do about that. It's gone. We've dropped. Uh, we got three points out of possible nine. The last three, three draws in a row. Uh, some really poor results smacked in there. It's a, undoubtedly a massive, massive blow to our title charge. And it, it reminded me a lot of a run of form we went on last season where we lose three nil to Crystal Palace away from yeah. home. We lose two one to Brian at home, and then we lose one nil to Southampton. So do you, again, do you think? Do you do you think there is a mentality issue there? I just I because I was thinking about this yesterday, and it does feel like when it comes down to it, it's still in our hands. It's like you just have to do this, and I'm you know Premier League football's not simple, but we just had to not you know not get thrashed at Spurs. We just had to not mm-hmm. get beaten at Newcastle last season. You know, They are hard games, no doubt about it, but the way in which we capitulated in both, and then this season it's, you know, you just have to hold on to a 2-0 lead against Liverpool. You just have to hold on to a 2-0 lead against West Ham. You know, you you need three points against Southampton because then you've got a massive cushion just still in your hands. Is there a case of maybe there's cracks under the pressure? You know, you, is it is I suppose the, second, the following question would be, is it expected for players of the sort of age group that we have. 
Yeah, I mean, to be fair, like we spoke earlier about the inexperience of the team and inexperience will naturally come with, you know, chinks in the armor. Like they've not been in this situation. A lot of them haven't been in the situation we're in currently now or even last season. A lot of them hadn't been in the situation we're in last season. I think like personally, my, my thinking is, is that up until this, this, the po- this point in the season, we've been thinking a lot about just the next game, just the next game. It felt to me like as soon as we dropped points against Liverpool, mm. it suddenly became very much about Man City. Yeah, it felt well, that's to me. Yeah, we we we, I think we've been looking at Man City for a long time and just sort of disregarding the games in between, which has been as if know. we're just going to win them. Yeah, everyone's been saying, "Oh, it's a massive game against Manchester City," as if by the time we get there, we'll be seven points clear or nine points clear or whatever, and that's the game, you know. And it has, you know, it's been played up in the media as it would be as this Titanic clash. But the truth is, we needed to get there in good form, and we haven't. So, yeah. I mean, and to be fair, I wonder whether, as well, there's a, a you know, so it might be a weakness of Mikel Arteta as well, as much as the players, you know, they're none of them have been in this position before. It's almost understandable that they might overthink or make mistakes, you know. The, I think that, for instance, playing Fabio Vieira yesterday, I think most people would agree was probably the wrong move. You know, we could have had Jorginho in there. Mm-hmm. Um, you could have had even Trossard in there or whatever from the beginning. Um I think maybe there's a case for there being some sort of not mental weakness, but uncertainty and a little bit of trepidation among the squad. That's, you know, yeah, it's strange, isn't it? Because I felt that uncertainty watching the team last few weeks, but also in terms of the West Ham game, you kind of you felt that arrogance. It's um, it's hard to yeah. kind of you need that balance and act between the two, don't you? Like you have to believe in yourself. You have to well, you fe- you know how good Thomas you are. Party. Like against mm. West Ham, he tries the flick. Everybody, you know, that's where it went wrong. And then against Southampton at two-one down, he tries to not make War Prowse on the edge of his area, and it goes for a corner, which they score from. You know, those are the fine margins. Yeah. And then, you know, ninety point ninety plus eight, he goes for the hero ball thirty-yard screamer that I think uh, just about everybody in the stadium and watching when he shaved to shoot knew where terrible. that was going. Like, yeah. No, not one person I think ever went, "Oh, that's going in." Yeah. Like, that was. That was the moment that we that you kind of knew that the game was over because yeah, like just... I really believe, man. Like, honestly, when Saka scored and you look on the big screen and it says seven mm. minutes, I really yeah. thought we can do that. We can get one goal in seven minutes. Like one thing that you can never really say about this Arsenal team um, is that we're like you know we, we're good at scoring goals. Yeah, yeah, you know we've we've got problems and we've got inconsistencies, but it feels like throughout the entirety of the season we scored goals. And yeah. I really, really believed after that Saka goal, and and the noise was unbelievable in the stadium. Like the, it was deafening. It was literally deafening. Everyone was on their feet as soon as that Odegaard goal went in. The 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 atmosphere really changed within a second. Yeah. He, um, he but, took that game by the scruff of the neck in the last ten minutes. He did. I mean, I don't know where he was for the first eighty, but the last ten, yeah. was, you know, the goal he scored and then dictating the play on the right. Arsenal seemed to find some sort of rhythm. Um, as you say, you can't. You can't fault them when it comes to goal scoring. What I will say as well is I feel like the idea that this is Arsenal's last chance at winning the Prem or the only chance of Arsenal winning the Premier League is a bit overblown. You know, we've shown we are good enough. Um we're only going to get better. And when you know, the the squad evolution is going to still happen. Rob Holding probably won't be here next season. Rob Holding probably won't play, you know, the final eight games of our season next season, although he has for the last two, you know. 
we'll find a player that's more suited to that position. They will make the team better. You know, Thomas Partey might not be here. Fabio Vieira, we might have a better we might have a better option than Fabio Vieira. All of a sudden, these tiny margins where we're losing games will start winning games. And yes, the you know there is the argument that other teams will get stronger, but Chelsea are a bit of a mess. Spurs, Spurs. Um, Liverpool have got to get a lot right in the transfer window. Man United, right, yeah. well, Man United, I don't know because I'm still not really sure which box to put them in. They've improved a lot, but they're still quite a long way away from being an elite side, you know. And then you're looking at Man City, who will improve, but we've got, you know, we have to be be perfect to beat Man City most seasons. If Man City beat us this season, we'll be, I think we're on we're on course for what ninety points, which would be crazy. Yeah, they'll be on for 92 or something. So, you know, Liverpool have seen it. You have to be perfect. So mm. I don't think this is, by any stretch of imagination, like our best... Our, it might be one of our best chances, but it's certainly our only chance to win the Premier League. No, of course. These, these players, like, as we said before, this is the second youngest team in the league. Like Exactly. The, the likes of Martin Lillian Saka, like, they're, they're only going up. And, you know, we've got... I mean, we've probably got, in my opinion, the best young centre-back um, prospect in the world in Saliba. Not just you know, not just in the Premier League. Like this, this kid is really going there. And obviously, like you know, Gabriel is still young, uh, Ben White's still young. We'll see. We've got loads of time. And especially if we are able to kind of reinforce the likes of like Rice and Caicedo in the summer, then that's more brilliant young players just coming in to shore us up. Exactly. And you know, you got to hope that injuries won't cripple us in the way that they have in the last two seasons. You know, we are Mm. weak at centre back, but if we can maybe bring in that extra third choice centre back that we hadn't thought about last season because we were too busy doing left back and striker and all this mm. other stuff. We you know we'll be in a much money. better position. Yeah. Exactly. Like I don't think this is our only like I'm sure this won't be our only chance to win the Premier League. I mean and one thing I want to say to you now is and this is but this is my last question to you for today, Ben this last question. I want to give it a bit of build up. So imagine there's like epic music behind me or something. I don't think I'm going to edit it in. But we'll, we'll edit it in. Okay, yeah, we'll edit it. Why not? We'll see what we can do. So obviously, as I was saying before, last season, three losses on the bounce, right? Two away from home, one at home. And everyone thinks we're in the mud. Everyone thinks we're in the mud. And then somehow, against all the odds, we go to Stamford Bridge for a, a much different Chelsea. <laughs> a much, much different Chelsea. With all the injuries we had, Nketiah in starting, Etc. Etc. Arteta made some changes, and we spank them four-two at Stamford Bridge, and we go on to win the next three games after that. And obviously, you know, we don't talk about what happened after that, but it just feels to me like we can pull something out the bag. And now we look forward to Wednesday, which is now not a must-lose or a must-draw. It feels like a must-win. Oh, must-not lose. (laughs) Not a must-not lose. It's now a must-win. We've got to win this game in my opinion. So my question to you is, and it's quite a simple question, but I guess it comes with um, <laughs> with a lot of layers to it, is do you believe? Oh, you, have to, you have to believe in this young team. They've done more than we thought was possible this season. Um, you know, we're going to a side that have infinite resources. Um, although, to be fair, what I will say is I think that Nathan Ake, if he's injured for the game, is a massive, massive loss for City because Homeric Laporte is... Not, not anything like the defender that Ake has been this season so that'll be a really interesting dynamic what happens there but um, I think that you have to hope with this Arsenal team you have to believe as well because they've done enough to show that they deserve that at the very least you know they've been so 
so good this season and going somewhere where they need a win you just have to hope that they're going to play out of the bag although that being said we don't have Mohamed Elneny to produce the masterclass like he did Stamford <laughs> Bridge last season so you know swings and roundabouts yeah to be honest even though we're still top of the league at this point in time it feels to me like in a lot of people's minds, we've gone from leaders to chasers because people just assume yeah. that Man City are going to win the game spare. So I don't know if the, there'll be a mentality shift, whether or not we're going to go in our heads from, instead of thinking we're holding on to the first place to we need to chase first place, maybe that would be a good mentality shift. I'm not sure how that's yeah. really going to work out. Well, but... I, think, I think a lot of people expect Manchester City to be perfect. And as you know, We've already covered before. If they are perfect in the next, well, have they got twelve games left? Two against mm. Madrid, nine in the eight in the Premier League, nine in the Premier League, and a couple of FA Cup games if they make the final. Yeah. Um. Yeah. If they go, they go perfect for that. Then fair fox. You can't say fair fairer fox. than that, can you? Because they got literally bright, Brighton <laughs> away, Brentford away. You know, they got some Everton away as well. They got tough games coming up. Everton away, sandwiched in between Real Madrid's. So no, that's tough. It's tough. And they, sort of they've dropped points like this a... season. Do you know what I mean? They dropped points to Everton yeah. at Man and, and City. Brentford. And Brentford at yeah. Man City. Yeah. Um, you know, you can and, just sort and of got Brighton, Brighton away. See in in the the corner of your eye, you can see the hope of like a a Michael Keane bundled over the line goal in, <laughs> in like the eighty second minute. I'm on my knees for it. Good Goodison Park goes crazy. Man City yeah. are crestfallen. <laughs> but, you know, but, I mean all I can say now is is that the last three games have given me pain. They're giving me a, a, like proper proper pain, like not not like necessarily physical pain, but just like I feel quite downtrodden. But it's to me, right? And I said this on Twitter that it, it feels like the, the title race isn't open over, but we're we're taking the scenic route for it, and the <laughs> the next the next part of the scenic route, the next stop is yeah, except the satnav's accidentally taking you into yeah, a or something yeah <laughs> yeah we'll we'll go around the seafront it'll be fine it'll look nicer um and as I said there's there's no more beautiful way to win it than than to go to Man City and get get a win no. there take that momentum we're not thinking about Newcastle <laughs> we're not thinking about anyone else. But will we go and then get a result? I don't know. Will I love this team anyway? For sure. Can we do we'll, it? We can do it. I, I we'll, have a, we'll have a preview out on it where I'm sure we'll uh, discuss whether we can and can't and the, the robot in the room. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think that's, uh, that's probably a good place to leave it. Just uh, at least we can kind of end on kind of a happier, happy thing. Uh, we, we move on to Wednesday. So um, if you listen this far, thanks so much for having a listen to our match review of Southampton game. Obviously, we know it wasn't the best game to have to, to listen about, but you know, the season's not over, we move on. Um, we'll have uh, a match preview for uh, the Man City game, the biggest game of the season now, um, out in the next few days. And thanks so much for listening to myself, who's Luke. You can find me on Twitter at Eccleton. Um, I've been joined by Ben. You can find it at Ben Browning Free. This has been the Bruce Banana FC podcast. Thanks so much. Erdegaard is joining in, and he's seen Martin Bakayo Saka beaten out by Lloris and touched in by Jesus. Bakayo Saka. Yes.